It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everyone? Patient, patient, patient. Bills Mafia waiting for us to get on here a few minutes late. Telling you, these home games when I'm driving home from the stadium are always an adventure. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast coming to you on this Sunday night, November 29th, where the Buffalo Bills improved to 8-3 and on the heels of a 27-17 win over the... <laughs> stream as late as usual uh los angeles chargers and it's a it's a game uh i'm matt perino joined by my co-host ryan ryan talbot here um we're we're sponsored by tops friendly markets your neighborhood store with more and i apologize for the the lateness there's a little bit of traffic on the 290 which which threw me for a loop um coming home from the stadium ryan but you know this is a game where i i feel like there's this sense of a letdown even in a win because of the sloppy nature of the game. You heard kind of the Bills players being asked quite a bit about that after the game and, you know, some penalties, nine penalties in the game, uh, the turnovers, just, you know, Josh Allen, who for weeks have, has talked about his responsibility and when it comes to taking care of the football, they didn't do a great job of that today. And I, I think that that maybe stained a, a, an otherwise really strong performance where I, I thought that this defense really executed a pretty good game plan, and there still seems to be some uh, some ascension with this unit. Yeah, the Bills fan base and the media alike were waiting for that game where the Bills put their foot on the opposing team's throat and, and gets them out of that game, and it looked like this could have been the game at one point. The Bills went up uh, by a sizable amount here early in the third quarter, but then just like every other game, they let the Chargers back in. The Chargers score. They get a two-point conversion. Uh, they they cut it close again. And then, you know, the Bills make some plays to move the ball. Devin Singletary has a really nice run, follows it up with another decent gain, and then he fumbles the ball. Josh Allen, uh, a heads-up play where the, he gets a defender to jump off sides, throws up a, a nice ball down the field to Gabriel Davis, follows that up by fumbling a snap, trying to pick it up, fumbles it again. Then you have a, a poorly thrown interception. So it's just one of those games, again, where the Bills had those opportunities to really pull away from a, a team that they, they I, I shouldn't say should have, because the Chargers have played teams close all year. But the opportunities were there, and the Bills failed to come up with those plays when they needed them. So instead of another comfortable or instead of a comfortable win, it was another nail-biter. It was another game that went down to the wire uh, until at least Tyler Bass made that field goal that, that extended their lead to 10 late in the game. But... It's just one of those. It's just the same thing where the Bills are doing everything in their power to keep these teams in games. Let's. There's a lot that we're going to get into on this episode of the Shout uh, Bills podcast. He's Ryan Ta Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. The Bills win 27-17 today uh, in Orchard Park. I, I want to start with the defense because you know obviously I focused on that in my uh, post game column, the instant observation, which is up over at the website. Mm -hmm. uh, you have your report card out as well, so I definitely encourage everybody to go over and check that out at Syracuse.com and NYUp.com. But this is a defense that you look at the final numbers and offensively, uh, the the Los Angeles Chargers, 367 yards, uh, 291 of those yards uh, through the air. And Justin Herbert finishes just under 60% completion percentage, 316 yards. But I, I feel like that doesn't really tell the story of what happened in this game, because I feel like this defense starting at the at the point of attack with this with this defensive line, a uh, couple performances I want to I want to talk about and highlight. I felt like at all three levels, this defense showed what we we talked about on Wednesday. They've been figuring out over the course of the season how to effectively limit you know, opposing offenses. And it comes back to the identity that Sean McDermott's defenses have had going back to when he got here in 2017. Bend, but don't break. You saw a lot of that again today. 
Three for 16, the Chargers were on third down. The Bills did a great job of getting off the field. And when they weren't doing that, they were making Justin Herbert uncomfortable, not only with their pass rush, with their front four, but sending Tremaine Edmonds on blitzes. A.J. Klein, who continues to excel in that role as a blitzer, um, I think that they did a good job against a Justin Herbert who has really impacted or has really attacked opposing defenses, has had success down the field. He didn't have a lot of that success today. No, until late in the game where he threw up the Hail Mary, got a good chunk of yards there uh, where, where the Bills were kind of playing a little bit soft late in the game, and he, and he had some bigger chunk plays there. For the most part, it, it felt like screen passes, swing passes, dink and dunks for five or six yards and hoping his receivers could do a lot of work after. They were taking away those weapons, taking away those big plays that we had seen Justin Herbert uh, make on a regular basis in games leading up to this. So the Bills did a great job there. And you mentioned some of the players. A.J. Klein was unbelievable again. Not sure what uh, happened since that Seattle game, but whatever it is, it's working. He was all over the field, uh, not just getting after Justin Herbert, made a huge third down tackle on Joshua Kelly on a uh, pitch play to get him out of bounds for, I think, like a three-yard loss. He was outstanding. Taron Johnson, another guy that uh, a lot of the fans and media members alike were kind of beating up on, and rightfully so for his play early in the season, he was outstanding. Uh, he came up with the tackle on the fourth down uh, stop. Again, Joshua Kelly run. He came off the edge, wrapped up Kelly by the legs, kind of held on for dear life while some help came along the way. Two hits, I believe, on Justin Herbert. Two passes defense. Really filled in that stat sheet. So like you were saying, there were contributors on the defensive line at the linebacker position and in the secondary in this win. And, and that's what you want to see out of this unit. So let's go back to AJ Klein because I, I listened to his press conference on the drive home and he had a couple interesting things to say about what's been going right. And credit to uh, my guy, Tim Graham over the athletic. I thought he asked them some really thought provoking questions at the end uh, to kind of make him dig into this a little bit. And, you know, the, the big change, first of all, going back to you mentioned the Seattle game is I think that they've they've decided to change the identity of their defense from a, 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 a defense that likes to kind of sit back and make you beat them. They know they're going to be strong on the back end to, OK, we're going to force the action a little bit more. We're going to start sending guys on blitzes. And that goes for Tremaine Edmonds, A.J. Klein, safeties, DBs. I mean, you could see that uh, multiple guys are getting kind of unleashed a little bit. And and Klein said that uh, he has played predominantly at the middle linebacker position over the course of his career. So it's been an adjustment this year, playing that will role, trying to emulate what Matt Milano does, where Matt Milano is an elite level will linebacker, a guy with great athletic athleticism, has those traits that allow him to move sideline to sideline. And you could see the comfort level week by week increasing for AJ Klein to where, okay, I can play fast. I know they like to use the cliche, my hair on fire. He's playing with his hair on fire out there, but doing it more effectively. And you saw a couple of the gaffes today where maybe he was out of position, but they came on plays where he was trying to be a playmaker. So I'm going to come off the edge. I'm going to blitz. I'm going to realize at the last second, he mentioned this, that the running back is scooting out, uh, uh, out the side, going to get out into the flat. I have to change direction go and uh, cover Austin Eckler, who, by the way, is a really athletic, fast playmaker his, in his own right. And, you know, lo and behold, third and 10, Austin Eckler makes a play. There was a few of those mixed in, but overall, you look at the impactful plays that A.J. Klein made in this game, and I think kudos to him, kudos to the coaching staff, and also where maybe he hasn't been as good in coverage. He made a few plays today, Ryan, where I thought he limited an Austin Eckler, a couple screen plays that could have gone for big gains. He, you know, he, he stayed responsible in the play and, and he made a play. Yeah, he, he was great against the run, against the pass. Uh, Scott, I see the comment in here. Yeah, I'm, I'm battling a little bit of a cold here. Uh, so <laughs> my, my voice is a little bit shot, but that's all right. Um, he, he was outstanding. And, and like you said, Leslie Frazier and the coaching staff came up with a game plan a few weeks ago and, and, and pretty much said, we need to be more aggressive. We need to get after the quarterbacks. We need to force the issue, uh, maybe create some interceptable balls, create some turnovers. Uh, and, and you saw some opportunities today. You know, the, the Bills have had some 
I don't want to say bad luck, just no luck, I guess. On those balls that hit receivers' hands and go flying up in the air, there, there just hasn't been that player that's been waiting for you know nine times out of ten where it goes way up in the air, just bounces down innocently. We saw an athletic one, uh, interception a few weeks ago from Jordan Poyer that hit off of Larry Fitzgerald, uh, but but more times than not that doesn't happen. But we saw a strip sack by Ad Oliver. Uh, we saw uh, a great interception by Trey White where he read the play. So we are starting to see that aggressiveness pay off. And we're even starting to see the, the defensive line in general, even when they're not sending additional pressure or uh, heat, we're starting to see them make some plays too. I thought AJ Epinesa flashed a few times today off the edge in terms of beating his man and applying some pressure to Justin Herbert. So it's, again, it's happening in all three phases and that's what you want to see from this defense as again, we're in this home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, and Epinesa, you bring up a, a, a great point there. Trent Murphy inactive today, bit bit of an uh, uh you know an eye popper uh, at eleven thirty. You put out the the story over at the website. Uh, AJ or um, T- Trent Murphy inactive, Tyler Croft tight end inactive, both uh, not on the injury report all week. Seem to be uh, healthy scratches in this one. And with Trent Murphy, you know. Sean McDermott wasn't asked about him when I when I got my turn to ask him out of my ass about Brian Winters. We'll talk about him in a moment. But I think that I, I'll be interested to hear what the thought process was behind benching those two guys. For me, with Trent Murphy, it's about AJ Epinesa and getting him on the field, getting him more opportunities because he's been flashing with the limited amount of opportunity he's had already. I think that getting him a larger role, you saw him impact the game a little bit. I thought that there was one play that there wasn't a flag on the play. I thought he was held clearly. Clearly, He had Justin Herbert in his sights, and he was winning some of his one-on-one matchups. I think he's really fast to the ball. I think he's really good in, in, in against the run as well. And that's something that I think that they've been missing without Shaq Lawson, where I think he really excelled last year. If he can fill that void uh, a little bit better than Trent Murphy, yeah, get him on the field. But to our buddy Joe Biscaglia's uh, point where he's been banging the drum since training camp, it's going to be a painful sp- pill to swallow if you're going to have Trent Murphy inactive for big games down the stretch and maybe even in the playoffs when you could have saved all that money in, in, in the offseason. Yeah, and, and you know, you're right. It comes down to A.J. Epinesa, but you, you also obviously have Addison and Hughes as your starters. You you have, want to get Epinesa some more exposure. You have Daryl Johnson, who – uh, is important on special teams, but he even made a play on defense today. Uh, it was another pass to Eckler, uh, and he was right there to stop him for about a three-yard gain. So get those younger guys more involved. Get them those reps that they can benefit from. I think we've seen all we need to see out of Trent Murphy. He, he can be solid, but he's not spectacular. He can make a play here and there. He can be okay against the run, uh, but his upside is limited. A.J. Epineza, he keeps getting better with more time on the field. Daryl Johnson, brings a little bit more versatility in terms of what he brings overall to this team. So yeah, keep a guy like that off the field. If you, if you have other options, didn't necessarily agree with the Tyler Croft decision. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Dawson Knox gets his first touchdown. Lee Smith was in there as an additional blocker. You have Reggie Gilliam to play special teams. There's only so many spots that you can have, but I thought that Tyler Croft, you know, of the tight ends, at least this season has been the most consistent performer for the unit. So I was a little bit surprised to see that decision come into play. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of it had to do with just trying to get Dawson Knox sparked a little bit. Um, I think not having Tyler Croft and the dependability that he um, has provided this season is always a risky uh, play. But I think that also we saw what they wanted to do today and how much they used Lee Smith. They wanted to run the ball today. They ran it for 172 yards. I thought that Devin Singletary... Outside of the fumble, he looked effective. Zach Moss broke a, a, a big run. I mean, 82 yards for Singletary on 11 carries. I mean, it's something we talked about on our uh, – and by the way, we're having um, private Zoom uh, Q&As every uh, game day. And I tweeted out earlier a picture of today's. I think we've gotten uh, 25 to 30 people, so we're going to be doing them every Sunday. If you want to get involved, if you want to join in on one of these private Zoom sessions, and so far we've been getting rave reviews. Fans have, have really enjoyed it. Uh, email me mperino at nyup.com. Uh, just a screenshot of, and you'll hear some noises in the background sometimes. I apologize. It's just, it's just where it is in the studio. I mean, uh, you can't see it behind me. There's a furnace right back here. I mean, I wish I could do one of those panoramic shots. I, I think it would be very entertaining. Um, but send me uh, a screenshot that you're subscribed to the Shout Football Podcast on uh, 
an audio platform and that will get you into one of these zooms and they were really cool i can't even remember what i said we were talking about but uh we were getting into <laughs> so much of you know uh it doesn't always have to be the stuff that's on that, that we cover on the on the show but um what was it that i was talking about ryan i completely lost my train of thought as something's going off in the background here i don't know but the furnace reminds me of the furnace from home alone you know where where Kevin's oh, afraid of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you hear that in the background. That's the first thing I think of. No, but but the private, you know, the, the chats have been really fun. Uh, and, and kudos to the people that joined us today. I, I think that four of the five are out on the West Coast. We had two in Utah, in Utah, one in LA, one in Las Vegas, and, and they joined us at nine forty-five a.m. our time. Mm. So they, they were getting up nice and early to to take part in that with us for about an hour and, and talk Bills football. Uh, but, but, you know, during that, we did talk a little bit about Dawson Knox. We talked a little bit about Tyler yes, Croft. So maybe that's, there you go. Maybe that's, where that was it. Dawson that. Knox. That was the, the, the stream of thought that I was on. Um, I thought that, you know, my big thing with Dawson Knox, I know there's been frustration with him in the fan base, but it's something where I feel like he just needs a few things to go right. You saw the impact that he could have last year. I remember that Cincinnati game where, you know, it was the one big thunderous play that everybody remembers, but he made a couple big impact plays in that game. And they come out on the first drive. They, they go after him it, it, within the five yard line. there, threatening to score. They score a touchdown and, and, and there you have it. This, this noise in the background. I, I, I wonder if my wife's doing something upstairs, but it's driving me absolutely nuts. But anyway, the, the Dawson Knox, experiment today if you will i think that maybe that had something to do with it but i thought i think dawson knox can still be a player for this team long term impactful um he made a big play today yeah that pass by allen was not the greatest throw i had a little heat on it uh, uh not knox had to adjust to it in the back of the end zone and he had to position his body to get his legs down so he made a great play. Uh, you mentioned the Cincinnati game last year. You know, go back to the Patriots game last year. Not just the big reception uh, near halftime that looked like it almost went for a touchdown. He adjusted. He had this great uh, body adjustment on a ball down the sideline as well that he, where he hauled in a pass. So he's had flashes that we just have not seen enough of those this year. Uh, and, and maybe, again, trying to get him going down this home stretch so you have more versatility, more options on offense, uh, especially – with John Brown out of action, you know, the Bills kind of passed that first test without him. Gabriel Davis having a big game. Uh, Cole Beasley, you know, doing a little bit of everything, catching the ball, obviously, but also throwing that touchdown. And, and Stefan Diggs, not necessarily having a big stat line, but drawing the pass interference penalty that led to their first touchdown and ending up with seven receptions in the second half. So, you know, pass tested there. You, you want to have as much versatility as possible, though, heading into the playoffs. And, and Knox, from a talent perspective and athleticism, he certainly has the you know the most upside at, at the tight end position. Yeah, let's get into these penalties because you did um, uh, throw this uh, from Scott Blakely this this chat. Uh, and if you have a question or something that you want us to talk about it, I threw out the, it on Twitter. We have a couple people that responded there. We'll get into all of that, um, guys. Please address the penalties, especially Moss. Help me ra rationalize. As honestly, I don't get the calls not being uh, a homer. Yeah, I think some of them were questionable, but I th also thought that some of them were, you know, head scratchers. I mean, you know, if you're you're Ed Oliver in, in those two spots, you know, whether or not you think that was a penalty or not, you can't put yourself in that position. Then the next play after you just committed a, a penalty to go off sides, I think that those are those are killers and and just little things that could set you back. The Tyler Medikevich penalty to, to start the game. I mean, those are just momentum killers. And I know some people don't believe in momentum, but I, I think in team sports, like you, especially in football, where you have so many moving parts to a game, any little thing can shift the dynamic of a game in a moment. And uh, so to your point, yeah, I, I I get the frustration, but I do think that there has to be some responsibility, you know, it, on the Bills end of things to to make sure you're not putting yourself in a position to be penalized in some of these spots. Yeah, but but at the same time, and I don't think the officials were, you know, I saw some things about the officials after the game. They're, they're not going out of their way to try to cost Bills, uh, the, the Bills these football games. But but let's be real here. The Zach Moss 15-yard penalty was not a penalty. He, he ran the ball out of bounds. He literally took the ball and just flipped it behind his back. I, I've seen players do that 100 times over. I have no idea what the official was thinking with that 15-yard penalty. Josh Allen spinning the ball uh, next to the, the defender. Innocent. I've seen a lot worse. I, I think nine times out of 10, that does get called though, because he looked at the defenders, spun the ball, uh, but questionable. 
there were two flags on a big play down the sideline on a run that he made where he slid and a defender actually hit Gabriel Davis and Davis somehow got flagged for that. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, I have no idea what that penalty was. And then even the Dan, Dan Dawkins was the second penalty on that play called for holding. He tossed the guy, but I didn't see any holding on the play. It was a lot of questionable plays, a lot of plays that had me scratching my head. Um, the offensive pass interference, the official that was standing right there, on that play near the end zone, it was a, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was fourth down play. He didn't draw, throw the flag, even though he was right in position to see the Chargers player push with both hands, extend him. It was the official that was near the middle of the end zone that had to throw it late. So th- there were little things where, where you wonder, you sit there and you say, how did they miss that? Uh, the AJ Epineza, the holding penalty that you and I both called out within seconds of each other on Twitter. It was clear as day and they're missing these calls. They're, they're making some questionable decisions. You know, you don't want to see anyone get in trouble. You don't. I'm not saying anyone should get fined or anything like that because I don't even know how that works with the officials. But they need to go back and watch these games and say, what were we thinking here? And, and just kind of say, hey, this was the wrong call. We need to be better than this uh, because that can cost teams at the end of the day. It didn't cost Buffalo today, but definitely some questionable penalty calls along the way. Last thing on this defense, and then we'll, we'll definitely get into the offense. And before we end the show, we'll get into some AFC East stuff because, you know, AFC big picture stuff too, because a lot of interesting things happening around the league today. Um, I mentioned three of 16 on third down, uh, two of four in the red zone for this Bills defense. And I thought also interesting Levi Wallace healthy, Josh Norman back healthy. Levi Wallace gets the start today. So you have the full complement of uh, secondary pieces with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer back there, obviously Taron Johnson in the slot. And you go down some of the stat line here and it's just, it's a really impressive day. Although, you know, it seemed at times where the, the Chargers were having success offensively, moving the ball, getting guys involved, Keenan Allen, 10 targets. He only finishes with four catches for 40 yards, had that one touchdown, which was a nice play. Mike Williams, who absolutely had that you know, play of the week almost last week. He's held to three catches for just 26 yards. Hunter Henry, seven catches, but only 67 yards, no scores. You know, I thought this was a big day for that Bill secondary. And I think that it just comes back to the point that we've been discussing where it's a complimentary game where the the pass rush that's starting to figure things out, the the defense at the, on the back end, figuring out what it needs to do to stop teams from, you know, really gouging them in some of these these situations where I feel like the secondary has struggled at times earlier in the season. I just thought this was a really good collective effort to hold a, a Los Angeles Chargers team that's averaging almost 30 points a game to 17 points. It was a really strong effort from this defense today. Maybe maybe I, I, I'm overreacting. You can, you can tell me if, if you disagree, but I thought this was a really good game from this defense. No, I agree completely, actually. Uh, and, and even on one of the fourth down plays that Mike Williams came up with, Trey White played the ball. He was playing tight coverage. Uh, after he he hauled in the pass, White tried to knock the ball going down to the ground. And, and I thought he almost pulled it off, and that would have been a huge play. Um, like you said, we took the, the Bills secondary took those playmakers away for the most part. But early in the game when they were getting pressure on Justin Herbert, I think that rattled him a little bit. He was a little inaccurate with the ball. There was a, a slant play where Allen – kind of created some separation from Taron Johnson. I think if he delivers an accurate ball to Keenan Allen, Allen has a huge gain on his hands, but instead it's out in front of him. Uh, He can't haul it in. So that goes back to the defensive line playing better football. The linebacker is getting some pressure. I agree completely. I I feel like this defense is trending in the right direction, whereas I'm not saying the offense is going in in the other direction, but they're maybe staying kind of status quo. They're kind of staying in that same uh, straight line and we're seeing some more mistakes from that side of the ball so it, it'd be nice if you could see both sides playing well but it always seems to be one side playing better than the other uh, and carrying that other side to victory we're going to get into that offense in a moment but first a word from our sponsor Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. We talked about that run game uh, at the top of the show and, you know, some other performances that I wanted to dig into here uh, a little bit. You know, Gabriel Davis comes out here, leads the Bills in receiving three catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. And I thought that that was a big performance from the perspective of, number one, 
you know, you're coming off of, uh, you know, Saturday when the Bills put John Brown on injured reserve, he'll be out for at least three games. You know, I talked about it on a few radio hits this week. This is kind of an audition now for, for Gabriel Davis as we look toward what um, this offense might look like long-term without John Brown. I mean, you got Stephon Diggs, you have that franchise piece. Gabriel Davis is a guy that, you know, has popped at times this year, but it's been John Brown that's been that number two option uh, throughout the season. But the Bills can save a lot of money if they move on from John Brown. So in, a, in an offseason where money is going to be uh, at, a, at an all-time premium, if this salary cap does dip, if, if teams have to try to find extra money, you know, they're going to have to make some tough ros- roster decisions. And if Gabriel Davis can step up, especially against some really tough competition in the next couple of weeks. We're talking about a San Francisco 49ers team that really brought that Los, An- Los Angeles Rams offense back to earth today. And then in two weeks, Pittsburgh Steelers, um, Sunday night football. We know what that defense was like last year uh, and, and how they played all season long. And really a big reason why they're 10 and 0. So this is going to be a true test for Gabriel Davis in this offense against a little bit lesser opponent in the Chargers with a few pieces out today. He had himself a nice game, but it's only going to get tougher. This is this is a, a huge stretch for Gabriel Davis. Yeah, and it was a good uh, first audition for him. I thought he did well. Um, the, the offsides where Josh Allen had the free play and he threw it downfield to Gabriel Davis. Davis did a really good job of high-pointing that football and coming down with it. Uh, I was impressed with his play there. Obviously, the touchdown pass, it was a, a trick play, but he was open in the end zone. So he, he did a good job today. It, you know, it wasn't anything... Uh, where he created a lot of separation necessarily, like I said, on the trick play, uh, the Chargers bit on that. Uh, but he, on the big play downfield where Josh Allen threw it up to him, he came down with the ball. That's what you want to see from uh, your, your young wide receiver. It's what you want to see from a guy uh, who you hope can grow into a number two receiver in time. Now, would the Bills part ways with John Brown in the offseason? Like you said, a salary cap-wise, it's going to be a tough season for a lot of teams with that $175 million floor. Um, you can save a lot of money there, but maybe that's a restructure type situation. But like you said, like you, you have said in, in previous podcasts, they have some decisions that have to make with Matt Milano being a free agent, with Daryl Williams being a free agent, uh, John Feliciano, a guy that they love being a free agent. So you can't keep everyone. You, you do have to make some tough decisions. I'm not sure if Gabriel Davis will be ready to assume that role uh, in 2021, but like you said, we're going to know a lot about him over this next uh, these next few weeks with these big games coming up. You know, one thing I want to talk, touch on too is what we started off the show with is just this idea that you know there's a there's just seems like a lot of unrest in this game. You know what I mean? You watch it, uh, you see the fourth quarter and some of the errors that you know the Bills uh, were making, kind of you know things that were really shooting themselves in the foot, the turnovers. Uh, the penalties you mentioned. And I think that you come away from the game with a sense of, man, I just wish the Bills would have smashed the Chargers a little bit more on a day where the defense was really playing well. But I think that, you know, one thing that gets kind of lost in everything because, you know, you watch the great teams in the league, the the Kansas City Chiefs and at times the Seattle Seahawks and, you know, other teams, Pittsburgh Steelers who are undefeated, you know, do it week in and week out. It is tough to, to, um, week after week win in this league. You got to find ways to win sometimes. And, you know, I, I still think that, you know, the Josh Allen stuff with, you know, the hero ball and, you know, putting the ball in jeopardy a lot. He did that a lot today, not just the interception. I mean, there was two or three passes where he was thrown off of his back foot. He, you know, he was, he was dealing with an unbelievable pass rush. I mean, Joey Bosa was a man possessed today, six tackles for a loss, three sacks, five quarterback hits. He was everywhere. I mean, it didn't matter right side, left side, Deion Dawkins, Daryl Williams, Brian Winters. It didn't matter. The bills really didn't have any answers for Joey Bosa. And, and I tweeted about it. This is an interesting stretch where you're going up in five games Look at the murderer's row of edge pass rushers that you could have been facing. Chandler Jones, who was out last week uh, or two weeks ago for the Chargers. You got Joey Bosa this week. You luck out and you don't get Nick Bosa next week. He's out for San Francisco. In in a few weeks, then you have potentially Von Miller, uh, who, who could be returning for Denver. And, of course, TJ Watt with Pittsburgh. I mean, the Bills are facing the premier pass rushers in the league over a stretch of time. So it's tough. It's not going to be perfect every week. I think that the fact that the bills are able to find ways to win in games 
even against lesser opponents, when they're when they maybe not have their best on offense, I think is a good sign. It's it's showing that I think sometimes good teams have to find ways to win even when they don't have their best stuff. And I think on offense, they didn't always have their best stuff today, or at least they didn't perform at, at, at the level we've we've come to expect. Yeah, and Kansas City, you know, they they let Tampa Bay back into today's game. It made it close down in the stretch. Uh, the Cleveland Browns playing good football, firmly in a wild card spot right now. They went back and forth with Jacksonville today. So like you said, it's a week-to-week league. Um, even these teams that have zero wins, one win, two wins, they're, they're still competitive. They still want to win, or in the Chargers case, three wins. Um and there's some potential mismatches like a Bosa, who was, like you said, all over the field. Uh, Buffalo could not block him, although they also opted on a few plays not to block him at all, which a bold decision, which obviously did not pay off on those plays. Matt Barkley getting smashed once. Um, you, you know, but like you were saying, the offense needs to make some better decisions though along the way. Uh, Josh Allen almost hurts his ankle on a play where he keeps the ball, where he could have handed it off. And instead of just getting down because he has the defender in his face, he tries to throw it out really quickly. Uh, and that leads to that ankle turning a little bit. Luckily, it doesn't seem to be anything too serious there. Uh, you have some turnovers by Singletary after the Bills get that fourth down stop. He gets a nice run, then he fumbles at the next play. Josh Allen makes the great throw to Gabriel Davis, and he fumbles the snap on the next play. And instead of diving on it, he tries to pick it up and run with it. So it's little things where they keep shooting themselves in the foot. On offense, and it would be great if we were sitting here saying, oh, yeah, you know, the Bills pulled away. They won it 40-something to 17, but this is not how this team has been built. This is not how it's been all season, and that's not how it's been for a lot of teams in the NFL this year. Uh, You just said it yourself. Even look at the Rams game. The Rams came down to earth today from the 49ers. The 49ers win it with a field goal late. The New England Patriots defeat the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are a... Uh, a fluke Hail Mary away from being on a four-game losing streak. So it's a week-by-week league, uh, and those teams that you think are, aren't a playoff team, they can still surprise you any given Sunday or Monday or Thursday. <laughs> I want to get into this offensive line, but I saw a comment in here. My man Rico, shout-out to the Rico Report. Uh, bing, bing, bing. I think I did it right there. Uh, he does a great job over on Buffalo Fanatics. He had a great question about Tredavious White because I was talking to Jay Skursky. I sit next to him in the uh the press box and we were talking about um Tredavious White was he was getting some work today. You don't you don't see that too often where a quarterback is willing to not only look his way uh and attack on that side of the field but consistently throughout the game throw in his direction and I think we saw that and I think that's partly Justin Herbert has had so much success in this league in a short amount of time that he is um you know, he's ultra confident. He's playing. I, I think you come into a game like this and you know you have playmakers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry, and you're going to rely on those guys and you're going to trust those guys. And I thought that, you know, over the course of the game, I feel like he went to that well a little bit too many times. And I think even with the the receptions that Tredavious White was giving up at times, how much of it was really critical in the long uh in the long story of this game? I don't I don't think that any of them had too many really big impact plays. Now was the Keenan Allen touchdown was Tredavious White in coverage on that? I can't remember. That, that was zone coverage, and uh, Edmonds was closest to him, actually. Right, 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 right. So that wasn't a one-on-one situation. But the biggest play of the game, potentially, is that fourth-quarter play by Tredavious White when you know he read that perfectly, dropped into his zone, uh, saw the ball was going to get uh, – tried to f- fit in there to Hunter Henry. He moves out in front and makes a big play on him. And I, and I think that – you know, Tredavious White over the course of, of the season, I, I think he's just a reliable um, playmaker that continues to make plays. And I think back two years ago when the interceptions weren't happening, and even in a year like this where, you know, to get to six is probably not going to be in the cards for Trey White, who's sitting, I believe, at two now, um, he makes them when they matter. Uh, you go back to that Pittsburgh game last year, and I think some big-time games coming up, you're going you're gonna to want to rely on Tredavious White. I think he'll make plays. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely thrown at more than he's used to. Uh, Herbert had some early success in that regard, moving the ball on him. But like you said, you went to that he went to the well too many times. The interception, White read the play perfectly, uh, was right there to intercept the ball. Like I mentioned on that fourth in, I think it was fourth and two, fourth and three, throw to Mike Williams. Yeah, Williams hauled it in, made the catch, but, Ed, uh, but White was in great position, tried to knock it away last second as uh, he was going to the ground, didn't happen, but 
I, I thought overall he played well on Sunday. Maybe he gave up more catches than what we're used to seeing, but at the same time, uh, it, it's a young quarterback who wants to go to his playmakers, go to his weapons. It's like Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. He's going to force the issue sometimes, and, and sometimes he'll have good success doing it, but over, you know, sometimes, too, he'll make that bad decision that leads to an interception like we saw today with Allen throwing into double coverage and underthrowing that ball that was picked off uh, late in the game. So it, it tends to happen, but overall, I thought White had a solid game. What are we, 35 minutes in, and I didn't even give a shout-out yet to our guy, Mr. Record Breaker, Jarrett Patterson. UB horns up, going for 408 touchdowns. On Saturday, got the shout-out from LeBron James. UB balls, horns up, always representing my guy. That was unbelievable, Ryan. I'm still, I still have a little bit of anger in my heart at Lance Leipold and the Buffalo Bulls coaching staff for bringing that man out of the game when he has a chance to break the NCAA all-time record. Um, but man, no matter what I know, like you know, it, it would have been cool to break those records. What a day for Jarrett Patterson! I mean, we had we've had him on the show. We both big fans. Yeah, that that was fun to watch. I, I watched the whole game from start to finish. Uh, just just a, a man among boys, I guess, is this is the quote uh, when when I go back and watch that performance. And yeah, it would have been nice if if the coaching staff would have known that he could have broken both of those records at the start of the drive. It looked like they did know that the fact that they kept feeding him the ball, but it was just to get him over four hundred yards on the game. It, it could have been really special, not just for for Patterson for that day for for that his career, but for UB recruiting as well. Now, don't get me wrong; they can still point to Patterson and, and his big day overall and say, "Hey, you know, this is the type of program we have. We can recruit with this." Uh, but at the same time, that could have been huge for the record books. I'm just laughing because I I tweeted out the uh, a tune in for the show on Twitter. And I said, it's a whole new world for Bill's Mafia when your team can maybe not have it all on offense and still win a game by 10 points over and hold the team to 17 points, you know, that was scoring 30. And somebody tweeted an Aladdin uh, gif at me, uh, you know, a whole new world. Get it? I thought that was funny. So good job, Twitter. Very <laughs> funny stuff. Let's get into this offensive line. Ryan, you're pushing through this. I appreciate it. Uh, dealing with a little cold, a little under the weather, but look at him, a professional just, you know, dialed in, getting through it. Let's talk about this offensive line, though. I asked Sean McDermott about Brian Winters because I think he continues to be bad. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I I try to go in every every week with an open mind, uh, try to watch uh, as much as I can on that line and see where maybe the breakdowns are coming. I think Mitch Moore stepped to the podium today. He took some responsibilities for a few mistakes that he made and, and made his first comments. It wasn't much. I'd like to maybe get more uh, into it this week with Mitch. He, he basically said, I had to be – a professional this week. The coaches were transparent and, and, you know, basically what they said is that the best player is going to win uh, or going to play. And uh, Mitch Morse wasn't in the plans last week. He made a couple errors today, but I thought it was Brian Winters every time. I don't want to say every time, but many times where you look and a big play was happening from that uh, Los Angeles chargers front, you know, Brian Winters was in the area or not in the area where, yeah. you know, maybe the problem will be. And, and I tweeted out Sean McDermott's quote, and he basically said he thinks that Winters has been doing a good job and somebody that has added something to the room. And obviously they must feel that he's doing something well because week after week he's in the lineup. Yeah, it's like that old, uh, you know, it's like a joke or one of those sayings where like, hey, is that the best candidate for the job? Oh, well, he's a really nice guy, but that's not what you asked. You know, it, it, it's is he one of the best five? And he's not one of the best five right now. I, I can't envision him being one of the best five. Uh, he's the I know that Mitch Moore said he took responsibility for for uh, Matt Barkley getting pancaked there. But that looked like that was completely on Winters. Winters was missing blocks left and right. Uh, Allen was facing a lot of heat because of it. Uh, he had no answers. He's had no answers. He's really struggled. So if you're really trying to get your best five out there, and I get you don't want to keep shuffling guys and moving guys around, but Butker was playing pretty decently at left guard. You have Feliciano who can play right guard. He's already shown that in his career here. Make that your five. Make that your interior. Butker, Morse, and Feliciano, obviously with Williams at right tackle, with Deion Dawkins at left tackle and, and ride with that unit. But like you said, oh yeah, he's doing a nice job for us. He's a veteran. I don't care if he's a veteran. I don't care if you, you know what you about how many years he's played in this league. That's not a reason to keep someone in the lineup. It's like Russell Bodine a few years ago. Well, we signed him because he's a veteran. He couldn't play. 
he didn't play well here. They they traded him away somehow for a draft pick. Um, don't just keep playing a guy just for the sake of playing them. And I get that you think, well, he's just still getting acclimated to this new unit. We haven't seen enough. There's There has not been enough flashes there. He's been a liability. Make that change. Yeah. Um, Hyder from San Francisco, two sacks today against Jared Goff, four quarterback hits, two tackles for a loss. It seemed like, you know, Jared Goff was uncomfortable today against this San Francisco 49ers team that got Richard Sherman back. Um, they win today, taking them to five and six, which means you're going to face uh, a desperate San Francisco 49ers team in a week on Monday night football, huge primetime game. Uh, there's rumors. Uh, I've seen floated around on social media. That game could be moved to Arizona, uh, which I think would be interesting. A little dome. Uh, somebody tweeted, uh, Josh plays well in a dome. So that's interesting. Also of no, and let's get back to Josh Allen a little bit. And I want to talk a little AFC before we get out of here. Playoff picture. And you know, the, some of the teams that won today, Josh, we mentioned some of his maybe, you know, risky plays today. That's not only the the plays where, you know, turnover worthy, worthy plays, that's also the risk that he takes with his body. And I thought that that on the one play where he got folded up a little bit, seemed to suffer a, a leg injury of some sort, came out for a game. Matt Barkley came in. Poor Matt Barkley got blown up by Joey Bosa and was awesome on social media. Tweeted a picture of it after the game and said, I hope Joey's okay. Matt Barkley is just awesome in social media. But that's a, a whole nother conversation. You know, that play happened that way because when Josh Allen realized that he had nothing else, no, no good could come of a play at the point that he reached – he still went on and tried to make something happen. That hero ball gunslinger mentality that he's tried to quell over the course of the last year and a half, it still pops up from time to time. And it's what makes it's it's part of what makes him great. I, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of it. But when it comes from completely, but when it comes to keeping him safe, keeping him healthy, you have to make better decisions. Just go down in that spot. Don't try to throw it because even the throw that comes of that is not going to be a, a, a high, um, you know, a, a, the success rate of that throw is not going to be very high. And I think if the Bills lose Josh Allen, say goodbye to their season. I'm sorry. I, I respect Matt Barkley. I like Matt Barkley a lot. I don't think that they have the uh, ability to do what they can do with Josh Allen in the lineup. And you just got to be smarter when it comes to those kind of plays. Yeah, cut your losses, like you said. Go down, and you don't even have to take the hit there. Just go down and say, oh, you know, I'm going to take this loss of two or three yards. Don't get folded up. Don't try to, to throw the ball out into the flat where that would have gone for maybe a one- or two-yard gain at most anyways. You're putting yourself at risk, and he is the offense. If something happens to Josh Allen, as good as Stefan Diggs is, as good as a healthy John Brown is, as good as the you know the, the running game can be, you're not going to win enough games. You're not going to make a serious push in the playoffs without Josh Allen. So be smarter about the decisions that you make going forward, Josh. Um, so right now the playoff pitcher looks as so the Pittsburgh Steelers, which you know we believe will play on Tuesday night against Baltimore. We'll see. Uh, 10-0, Kansas City 10-1. The Tennessee Titans take out the Indianapolis Colts, and we do these picks on tally site every week. They kind of aggregate all of the uh, picks from beat reporters, national reporters. It's it's kind of a cool venture they got going on over there. Uh, I did uh, I, I picked the entire week this week, and that was one of my picks. I picked Tennessee to, to beat Indianapolis because, you know, I just I wasn't a believer in Indianapolis quite yet. I think that they're a good football team with a really great defense, but I think that their quarterback is limited. Uh, Philip Rivers, you know, not only physically, but I just think from an arm strength perspective, you've seen the dip over the last couple of years. And against a good defense that can pressure the quarterback, um, I thought that they were going to struggle. They did today. And then you got Buffalo coming in at number four, Philly at five, or uh, Cleveland at five, Miami at six, Indian at seven. And don't look now, the five and six New England Patriots are now two games out of that seven spot. And with a very favorable schedule down the stretch, I think the Miami Dolphins at 7-4, they're going to be a threat to the Bills the rest of the way in the AFC East. The Bills are going to have to keep winning. But I also think that I, I've, I find it hard to believe that the Miami Dolphins don't make the playoffs. Yeah, both teams are well positioned to make the playoffs. Now, that said, the Dolphins, I think, have a – I don't want to say they have a tougher stretch, but they still have Kansas City. 
they still have a, a team like the Raiders. And I don't know what Raiders team is going to show up because the Raiders team that showed up today against Atlanta was just stomped. Um, they still have the Patriots who beat them once already this season, and they're trying to get into this wild card race. So they have some motivated teams left. They, they had a, a gimme game this week against the Jets, um, but we also saw them falter against the Broncos. And I'm interested to see what they do at the QB position going forward because they, they said that Tua suffered an injury uh, in week this week during practice, and then they made him doubtful, and they turned it over to Fitzpatrick. Uh, but but Tua was really rattled by the Broncos' pressure a few weeks ago. So if he comes back in next week, two weeks, whenever the case may be, and he's rattled again, are you going to keep going with your young player that you're trying to develop? Are you trying to tell your locker room, I want to make the playoffs this year and go with Ryan Fitzpatrick? So it's at least an interesting storyline that I'm looking forward to watching down the stretch. But there's still a threat to win the AFC East right now. Uh, and the Bills are going to have to keep playing good football to kind of either maintain the lead or hopefully in some weeks, in their case, extend that lead. Who would you rather play if you're the Bills? If you end up in, if you can get the three seed or the four, if you end up at the four seed, who do you feel more comfortable in round two, the Steelers or the Chiefs? Who would you rather play? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. I think I'd rather play the Steelers. And I think a lot of it comes down to we know that Mahomes can create magic. He can throw those sidearm passes, the no-look passes he can create by using his legs a little bit. And I think that Ben Roethlisberger is having a really nice season, but he's limited in terms of his mobility. Uh, I think that they've won a lot of really close games this season that uh, not every break necessarily goes towards a team that has for the the Steelers so far this year. So I want to see the Steelers firsthand in the regular season against the Bills, see how they match up. But right now, on, on this given Sunday, I would rather see the Steelers in round two personally. You know, Tennessee's sitting there in the three seed, and they have a couple tough games down the stretch. They play the Browns at home, then they're at the Jaguars and versus the Lions, and then at the Packers and at the Texans to finish the season. To get that three seed now, you're going to probably have to pass over the Titans and, and they hold the tiebreaker because of the head to head to win. Uh, so that's an interesting storyline that I feel like is going to be fun to watch down the stretch here. Not only the AFC East, but where you position yourself in this AFC for the best chance at a run. Uh, before we get out of here, um, I want to talk a little bit more about this offensive line because we, we mentioned winters, but I think this is going to be depending on, you know, we, we have Jeremiah Searles on the show all the time and, and he's so funny. Um, <laughs> Every week I tweet out the uh, the starting lineup. He he replies with a hashtag free Ike. He's a big Ike Bucker fan. And I saw a question in here, like if Winters isn't the option, who goes in for him? And I know that there's some Ryan Bates fans out there. I'm one of them. I'd love to see him get an extended look and see if that, um, what that would look like. Um, but I think that Ike Bucker, if he were to go into the game, would go in at left guard where he's played um, every time he's been out there, which would would switch John Policiano back to the right side at right guard. And I think that that might give you your best five, your best chance at five, at least, and maybe not even if, if the Bills don't even think about it for this season, right? If they think that for some reason, Brian Winters gives you this much more than an Ike Bucker. What's the long-term game by playing Brian Winters, who's by all accounts has been pretty bad. Now, Another important note, and I tweeted about this too, and when it comes to Winters, I, we were all over A.J. Klein. I was all over A.J. Klein for his poor play in his first four starts, and and he flipped the script. Maybe Sean McDermott and this coaching staff has seen something in practice with Brian Winters. Maybe there's a level level of communication, intelligence, um, something that he's doing in practice that it, it's going to click at some point. Uh, so I guess reserve judgment if you have a belief in this coaching staff, which I think they've done a lot to earn that. Um but I think at some point, if you see another game or two where the offensive line play maybe is at the level that it was at today, I think you got to consider making a change. Yeah, I, I agree completely. So AJ Klein's turned things around. Taron Johnson has turned things around. Tyler Bass, as you saw in the comments, has turned things around, so to speak. I, I just think that he, uh, I don't know if turned around is the right thing with Bass. I think he was just a. Uh, little shaky early on as being a rookie, but he's been pretty clutched as of late. Uh, but yeah, maybe Winters does turn it around. Maybe the light bulb goes off. Maybe he just needs some extended time in there, but I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen enough 
uh, plays where he's made a big block where I've said, oh, okay, that's why they like him. That's why they have him in here. So, you know, the, the coaching staff's paid a, a good amount of money. Uh, Bobby Johnson has a lot of experience with this offensive line and coaching. So if they keep riding with Winters, there has to be a reason for it. We are going to get out of here because Ryan is uh, he's pushing through. But I could see whatever you took before the episode, it's wearing off. I appreciate you uh, for get healthy for uh, our big Wednesday show, Ryan. We got um, I think we're going to do it. I think we got Tyler Dunn coming in. Uh, we got Dan Lab from uh, Cleveland.com, and I may even try to sneak in, get a little greedy, do a third guest on Wednesday night for a big, uh, massive show. Uh, and, and there's a lot to talk about in, in, in Bill's land. And with an 8-3 and three football team, all these fun uh, division uh, races and, and AFC uh, playoff races, and I got one hell of a fantasy football game going on with John Scott from Spectrum News right now. I'm in it to win it because if I don't, I think my season's over. I'm looking around the league, and there's a lot of teams that that, that are winning that I didn't need to win this week. So I got to get to a TV, watch this Sunday night football game. I'm up 13 with he's got Aaron Jones going up against Chicago's defense, and I got nothing left. So can Aaron Jones stay under 13? That is the big question in the Perino household on this Sunday night. Ryan Talbot, final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. You know, it was ugly. It wasn't the win that I think a lot of fans wanted, but your team is eight and three, one play away from being nine and two. Uh, they're still in the driver's seat. So keep on believing in this team because right now they're doing everything in their power to win the AFCs for the first time since 1995. Get back in here on Wednesday night. Bring all your questions. And, you know, as always, you know, follow us on, on social media Twitter, uh, at Matt Perino, at Ryan Talbot Bills. DM us your questions. Maybe beforehand on the show, we'll, I'll make sure to uh, get that written down and get it as part of our outline so we can cover it. Um, find us on the audio platforms. That's huge. Uh, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple. Subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps us. And after you do that, screenshot that you're subscribed. Send it to my email or DM me, and you will be in the Zoom contest. You will get a private five-on-two Zoom session with Ryan and Matt Perino. It is a great time. We have a lot of fun. Uh, we even had a fan today that was making some cupcakes during our uh, during our uh, Zoom, so it was a fun time. Uh, and we'll have full coverage this week as the Bills transition into a pivotal battle against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football next week. It's going to be a fun one. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We will see you on Wednesday. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win.